This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. As we celebrate our first anniversary of when football was football on the Sports History Network, we can look back at a wide variety of episodes from the golden days of football in the Chicago area. While we've covered topics such as the first ever indoor football games held in Chicago, the individual heroics of players such as Charlie Trippy, Ernie Nevers, and Patty Driscoll, as well as intriguing team topics such as the merger of the Cardinals and the Steelers in 1943, we've never taken the approach of discussing the passion of football fans in the Chicago area. Football followers in Chicago are a hearty but loyal breed, quick to complain, but even quicker to defend their favorite team, which now, of course, is none other than the Chicago Bears. But at one time, Chicago enjoyed the exploits of two NFL teams in the city, the Bears on the north side and the Cardinals on the south side. The rivalry between the two football teams was natural, much like the baseball chasm that still exists between the White Sox and the Cubs. For years, Chicago's main sports teams even shared stadiums with the Cubs and Bears at Wrigley Field and the White Sox and the Cardinals down south at Comiskey Park. There was one major exception, however, when new Cardinals owner Charles Bidwell moved the team into Wrigley Field during the 1930s. This move was made with the hope that the Cardinals would increase their attendance by playing games at the same location as the Bears, who enjoyed superlative support on the north side. It didn't work, and the Cardinals were soon back on the south side. In this episode of When Football Was Football, we're going to look a little closer at the rivalry between the two Chicago teams in 1951, when the Bears were near the top of the standings, while the Cardinals resided at the bottom. However, in the second game of the season on October 7, 1951, the Cardinals stunned the visiting Bears 28-14 in front of about 34,000 fans at Comiskey Park. After the game, Cardinals coach Curly Lambeau, now in his second season with the team, was joyful as he told the Chicago Tribune. He said, happy? Sure I am. I like to beat those Bears. But I'm friends 363 days of the year with George Hellas. The Tribune then added, there was little but gloom in the Bears' salon. But one thing was certain, Hellas and his people were thinking about December 16th. That's the day the Cards will visit Wrigley Field. By December 16th, things were much different. The Bears were now 7-4 and and could tie for the division title with a win over the Cardinals. The Cardinals, however, were mired in last place with a 2-9 mark and had parted ways with Coach Lambeau a week before on December 8th. Lambeau at first resigned on December 7th and vowed to complete the last two games of the season. But he wasn't shy about blasting Cardinals management in his closing comments. So, a day later, he was gone. On December 9th, the week before, the Cardinals lost a 20-17 decision to Washington, setting up the final game of the campaign against the Bears. Rumors began to swirl that the Cardinals were for sale, and that the team began interviewing possible coaching candidates to replace Lambeau, including 23-year-old Terry Brennan, the already successful coach at Mount Carmel High School in Chicago. Brennan would eventually end up as the head coach at Notre Dame in 1954. 
With all of these distractions in place for the Cardinals, the team was not expected to present much competition for the Bears on December 16th. But as always, the Cards would bring some of their loyal fans with them to the den of their fiercest rival on the north side of Chicago, despite the prediction of severe weather. At 7 a.m. on the day of the game, the temperature in Chicago dipped to minus 12 degrees and would remain below zero at game time, establishing a new cold weather mark for the coldest December 16th on record in the city of Chicago. With snow from a previous storm already blanketing Wrigley Field, conditions were certainly not favorable for either the players or the fans. But some Cardinals followers would not let a simple thing like sub-zero weather interfere in their plans to watch their favorite team take on the dangerous Bears. They had already been through much worse during their lifetimes. Well, this episode of our 1951 Cardinals season finale actually began in April of 1945, when the U.S. 77th Infantry took part in the pivotal Battle of Okinawa. During this key invasion, Chicagoan Phil Scouten of the 77th, who was still a teenager, suffered horrific injuries that took both of his legs above the knees. The U.S. victory in Okinawa helped pave the way for the final Japanese surrender shortly thereafter. The wounded hero from the Roseland neighborhood on the far south side of Chicago returned home to rebuild his life. According to an article in the Southtown Economist, which stated, Upon his return to the city in 1945, hundreds of local residents contributed toward purchasing him a new, specially equipped automobile, which he could use with artificial limbs. Phil also had the support of his five other siblings, including two nuns and a Catholic priest who was a missionary in Africa. After his return, Phil set up his own accounting business and with his brother Joe was part of an active group of close friends called the Poker Club Golf Association, which as indicated resulted in numerous sporting activities including bowling. They also love the Chicago Cardinals. Joe Scouten helped arrange for the group to attend the Bears-Cardinals game at Wrigley Field on December 16, 1951. It was a date that the neighborhood friends looked forward to and Phil was anxious to be part of it as well. The only problem was that the stadium did not provide seating accessibility for disabled fans like Phil. Joe told us recently that we weren't going without Phil. So the group managed to exchange four tickets owned by Buddy George Wittegren for eight field passes. Other attendees from that collection of Cardinals fans included Ernie Berquist, Pat and Vince Abadudu, Joe Kopchak, and a rather thin fellow named John Vanderwerf. The weather was frigid, as noted previously, with temperatures hovering below zero. And the guys borrowed, so to speak, some of Phil's leg coverings to help keep their ears warm. Once settled on the field, the group cheered for the Cardinals and were rewarded by a surprising start to the second half. Down 7-0 at the break, the Cardinals reversed that margin quickly as the great Charlie Trippy became an inspired wrecking crew for the Cardinals, as reported by the Chicago Tribune, which said, the old Eskimo from Georgia and Pennsylvania, Charles Lou Trippi, yesterday was the hottest person, man, woman, or child in Wrigley Field, a refrigerator registering one below zero. No one thought to tell Charlie that it wasn't a day fit for football, 
when he went into action with the Cardinals trailing the Bears as the second half began down 7-0. In this frigid setting, Trippy became a one-man show. In his greatest pro afternoon, he ran 13 times for 145 yards, scored two touchdowns, and passed for the other one, and completing 9 of 20 passes for 106 yards in a 24-14 triumph. With the loss, the Bears watched as their title hopes vanished. But that was not the only thing that vanished from Wrigley Field that day. During the Cardinals' victory, a wayward punt landed near the scouting group adjacent to the field. Being inquisitive Southsiders, the boys from Roseland decided to have some fun, grab the football, and hide it from the Bears' security guards. Knowing the reputation of Bears' owner George Hellis for financial tightness made the escapade even more enjoyable. But how do you hide a football? Soon, Bears' personnel were scouring the area while the Scoton brothers and their friends focused on the game. Looking the other way, not being bothered, no one, it appeared, had the slightest idea where the football was. Joe Scouton recalled the situation. He said, We knew that Bears owner George Hellis was very frugal and that the security guards were determined to find that ball. They kept looking at my brother Phil and figured that he was hiding it in his wheelchair. Well, when Phil pulled back his blankets and reluctantly proved that he was not hiding the football, the guards were perplexed and gave up the search and began looking elsewhere. George Hellas would not be happy if that football was lost. Eventually, through some sleight of hand among the friends, the football ended up under the belt and overcoat of the very skinny Vanderwerf, who was nicknamed Slim for good reason. He was slight of stature and the football under his belt might simply resemble a slight beer belly to any inquisitive security guards. Joe Scouton added, no one ever suspected that the skinny guy would have it. And so the group slipped out of Wrigley Field that day and kept the ball and kept it and kept it and kept it. Later, someone had the game score and date inscribed on the football and over the years it was proudly displayed and shared among the original eight friends from that day each telling the story about how they were able to evade the determined Hellas security patrol during the Cardinals' monumental upset victory on a frozen day back in 1951. And while the members and numbers of the Poker Golf Association membership have thinned over the last seven decades, the ball lives on as a fond memory of a very special group of friends who are Cardinals fans, veterans, and heroes. We're going to share a photo of this infamous football on our When Football Was Football page on the Sports History Network website. You'll also be able to view a great photo of Joe Scouton, now a spry 98 years old, with his late wife June and the elusive football as well. And we'll also have a photo of Phil and Joe Scouton, taken in May of 2021. I'm also very grateful that Joe has graciously entrusted this football to myself to be displayed at our various Chicago Cardinals programs around the country. Thanks also to Joe's gracious daughter, Lynn, who introduced us a few years ago and has made it possible for football fans around the world to learn about the inspired friendship of the Scouten Brothers and the Poker Club Golf Association. Thank you for spending part of your day with us, and we look forward to our next episode on the Sports History Network, which will focus on one of the more familiar names in pro football history, Ernie Nevers. 
Nevers was a Hall of Fame member of the Chicago Cardinals and a major league pitcher, but we'll share with you the unusual story of his very first professional football game, which was not with an NFL team. Until next time, thank you, and please join us again for our special episode about Ernie Nevers. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably in sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl I, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of Myth Podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about.